Hey, Wonderfuls, welcome to episode 365 of the JV Club with my marvelous guest, Patrice Pike. She is a uh, a wonderful musician. She's currently based in Austin. Um, We'll go ahead and say she's a total badass. And uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. You know, I continue to love doing the podcast, even in these strange times, because it kind of locks me into the moment, into the present, with my attention on another human being, and uh, allows me to kind of separate a little bit from the sort of future surfing that can happen. So uh, if you're like me, you benefit greatly from things like that. And I hope that you are taking excellent, excellent care of yourselves and each other. I know I don't have to encourage any of you to socially distance because I'm 100% sure that you are the top kids of the class and teacher's pet where that is concerned. Uh, But if you get the chance to spread the word, not the virus, I would, and yes, I did coin that myself, even though I'm sure I didn't, I would uh, say, you know, help keep the word out there. Okay, that was a clunky intro, but that is kind of my MO. So I will talk to you guys soon and uh, sending love to everybody. How are you feeling? I mean, again, complicated question because, speaking for myself, I feel a thousand different ways kind of every day still at this point. Oh, I, you know, it's just a range of emotions every day, which isn't that different for me <laughs> than my normal days, except it seems like, you know, just bigger, yeah. more um, sort of like this combination of noticing and... I guess like hyper noticing because mm-hmm. things are so different in so many ways. Yeah, I mean, I'm just glad I haven't been on tour a lot because being nowhere but inside my house would be even more oh, radical right now. And since yeah, since we're getting ready to to um release a new record right now, we weren't in our touring cycle yet and now all yeah. the tours are canceled. So it's just every single day is like everything's changing, you know, like it is for everybody. So radical. And Austin, of course, um, that's where you are or that's where your uh, area code is, I just realized. No, yeah, I am in Austin. Like I saw, uh, yeah, I thought so, but then I thought, wait, maybe I'm mixing mixing things up because then your area code was Austin too. And like there are so many friends of mine who have lived here 10 years and are like, I know I still have a Virginia area code, but obviously the the South by Southwest things was, I mean, that for me was... I think for many people, that was the sort of like shock to the system. It was the first thing that I was so blown away um, that it felt, it, I was like, oh, this shit's yeah. real. <laughs> like that is a massive, massive thing to cancel at the last minute. And and then immediately anybody who's ever gone or is familiar with Austin, you know, the next thought is, oh God, Austin, like you need, that's when you count on stuff coming in as income that's yeah I mean I'll tell you Janet I've been either I went to South by Southwest for the first time when I was Mm. 17 on my way to spring (laughs) break in high school and then I started playing at South by Southwest when I was 22 I think so I haven't I haven't missed a South by Southwest Mm. since I was 22 so pretty much yeah. my whole adult life. Um, 
And so, and also being here in Austin, we kind of started thinking about if that was going to happen sooner and also the consequences, not just for like career stuff, but also our economy here in Austin. So yeah, that was definitely the first big what the hell. Did you, was there a sense of people getting to kind of like, was the lockdown, has it been gradual enough, for better or for worse? I mean, obviously, there's a lot to be said for very swift reactions versus the, the way things have kind of rolled out. Um, but, you know, I know for me, because it kind of crept in and when South By was canceled, you know, L.A. was still very much just going about its daily routine. So I was, of course, in a room full of people. I was actually... <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm thinking about sort of what's the most physically intimate place I could be under the circumstances of my particular job. And and I was in a very full makeup and hair room where we were all just having people touch our faces and we were breathing on them and everybody was just sort of really up in each other's biz. Uh, The most kind of that happens when you're shooting a show. And that's, you know, I looked down at my phone and 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 saw, you know, a friend texted to say that it had been canceled and it was still so far away from something that I was thinking about for myself, which is probably why I was only thinking of Austin and the ramifications. So it still felt very, you know, it was like, and then from that moment forward, there was time as we were sort of winding down into this quarantine where I did feel like I had the opportunity to sort of have exchanges with people like, oof, let's like, I see where this is going and, you know, sort of commiserating in person, even with perfect strangers before you sort of kind of just went quiet. Um, did you have that in Austin? Did you guys, you know what I mean? Did like the Austin community, like, you know, I went, I yeah. went to my favorite coffee shop and we sort of had that conversation like, oh, maybe I won't see you in, after a while. Well, what happened with me is my drummer, the drummer in Pike and Sutton, which is the group that I'm releasing a new record with. Mm-hmm. Um, the guitarist is my longtime music partner since we met when we were in high school and started a band when I was 21 and he was 22. So our drummer's in this band called Golden Dawn Orchestra also. Mm-hmm. And we were all on a band text because we were talking about rehearsing. And yeah. we're also playing Lollapalooza in Chile, which was supposed to be next week. And so we were having these conversations because Rob, our drummer, was going to a tour in Italy and there was already talk about those tours canceling. And so we were already we were already talking about that because of touring overseas. Sure. And and honestly, at first, just thinking, wow, we might not get to go overseas and do our tours, which sounds so like clueless in a way. Right. I think we all we all get yeah we all have permission to have been clueless no I think I think it's I mean we had no real communication from our government or otherwise that would cause any of I think everyone feels that way now everyone's like looking back I'm like how whoa that was really clueless but and admittedly yeah I mean not clueless in the sense of like I, I definitely wasn't clueless in the sense of what was going on over there um but just how friends and fans Yeah. yeah I mean yeah Got, I've toured Italy three times. I have friends in other countries, like a lot of us do, yeah. in entertainment business and stuff. And 
Um, so had already talked to them about are they safe and seeing Italian friends talk about their families and Italian musicians. But at that moment, it was like, oh, wow, um, I'm aware of what's been going on in China. I feel a lot of compassion and empathy, mm -hmm. and that's real. Like, I, I, I'm, I, I'm empathetic to a fault, I think, in the sense that I, I don't think I... I don't have good um, ability to like keep my anxiety down sometimes because I worry about people. But girl, I'm be, could <laughs> not be standing more alongside you. It has been it is so hard for when you're a person with very thin to non-existent emotional boundaries in terms of how you relate to other people and what their trials and tribulations are. It is, I mean, again, not to like woe is me. I just I feel for those hypersensitive people out there who you know are having to grapple with like well even in the moments I'm okay I sort of am still not okay because I can't let go of you know every person who's not totally and you know so the the bridge for me started with this conversation about tours in Italy canceling and you know I was like wow and then Rob said there even are rumors that maybe South by would have to be canceled. And so that's when it really got in my head, you know, actually I'm, I'm grateful for that because mm. it got in my head that this might be a real thing here. We're in a tourist town. Um, you know, all my friends in New York and LA and San Francisco, I started thinking about all the places that have a lot of international travel yeah. So then my head, my my mind raced ahead, and I started paying more attention mm. because I've been really wrapped up in getting this record ready and getting ready to tour, and I was wrapped up in all of the advance making like video and content for the the like jumbotrons or whatever screens on stage in Chile, mm -hmm. and talking to our friends in Chile. And before that, we were talking about the unrest in Chile and making sure they were okay and making sure mm. the producers still wanted the tour to go on. So all of a sudden, it came here, like in my heart. It was like, oh, my God, mm. like they're worried about travelers. And so but then it was just, okay, touring, some of our touring might be postponed or whatever. And then when they had, when the mayor announced that they were canceling South by the conversation here was just, oh my God, my friends that work at South by my, mm. you know, like all these ideas, that em empathy thing, right? Just like, it wasn't yeah. just, oh, that sucks for me. It was, oh my God, this is a really big deal. And I really appreciate yeah. that they're protecting us and everyone, you know, yeah. even the people that would have been traveling. Cause I thought about, you know, not to go on and on about this, but I thought about, you know, Japan, night and and the chinese artists that come over it's a big always been a big deal here like that's yeah, it's, a, global. it's hard it's to get really in global it's wonderfully global yeah and you want to go you hope that your showcase isn't on japan night or or any of the you know traveling bands that you don't get to see from other countries so sure. it just all started really fast going fast and processing and then i'm also on i'm a music commissioner, which means I was appointed to office here in Austin to talk about with the board, the full music business, uh, commissioner's board about the music business here and how the music community is affected and how we, 
make uh, suggestions. You know, we we create proposals or recommendations for city council, and it's all experienced musicians and music professionals, blah, blah, blah. So we were talking about it on a, on all kinds of lever, levels. Yeah. And so I just all of a sudden was really aware of the music community here talking about all the different impacts. Sure. I mean, listen, and, side note, that's very cool that there is that that you're on that board and that that board exists and makes every kind of sense. But it's not something I ever would have thought about existing, you know? Yeah, it is pretty cool. cool. It's kind of it's kind of stressful because they uh, broadcast it on television live. Oh, so wow. you're like talk about reality TV. I know you're sitting I'm there. Performing, <laughs> yeah. I guess. Well, you're just like, oh, these you know citizens are coming in and asking us questions on camera, and uh, it's really awkward and vulnerable, but also <laughs> interesting. And sure. and you're not you're not in a makeup room with whatever beforehand. Like oh, nobody's yeah. making you look pretty. You're yeah. going in there and you're doing business in front of a camera and anybody can tune in and watch it. And you totally might drop an F-bomb and you didn't mean to oh, or whatever. God. I'm sure. Whatever. I'm you sure. know. No, because that, that really falls into the category of, you know, for those of us who do perform on some level, be it, you know, I'm a teacher or I'm an actor, or I'm a musician, you know, all the different ways that you can put yourself in front of a crowd where you're, you're you know, you're sort of the sole person in the room or you and, and, and your, um, you know, your colleagues, your improvisers, your, your bandmates, but to, to feel like, yes, I'm accustomed to quote unquote performing in the capacity that I'm used to, but uh -huh. for, take me out of that and put me in a different place where suddenly everyone might be looking at me, I can get so uncomfortable so quickly. Like the sort of standing joke for me is like, please don't ever call me up to a stage if I'm like seeing a show, you know, if it's like, I need a volunteer yes. for the audience, like anything like that is so uncomfortable well and you've got to know that that happens with musicians yeah, yeah like oh come on you get up on stage and you play music you know surely <laughs> you can you don't have to be like you know self-aware when you're just because there's a camera there it's like no but it's different it's different totally I think it's hilarious because uh I I started being more conscious about you know calling up friends to come up and sing or play because I realized sometimes oh god they just looked at me like they looked at me and they looked at their drink and they looked back at me like I am totally drunk. And what the hell are you doing to me right now? <laughs> that's so true. I know every I think that that's the other thing, right, is that the assumption would be like that every performer is secretly just waiting for the opportunity for someone to go, all right, you know what, why don't you come up here and favor us with a two that every, everyone, every performer secretly is like, I wish I were on that stage right now. And that is definitely not always the case. Totally. And you know, if someone is not feeling like they're capable, because especially if it's a person that, you know, is super confident and you're looking at them and you've done it before, you know, and it's no big deal and they are your really good friend and if they look at you like no 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 and you're like oh god oh god what's gonna happen <laughs> but even what's what can be worse is when someone comes up and they're like they don't make that face and then they come up and they're just completely blasted they're completely oh, no. lit and they do the most ridiculous things and then you're like Oh my God, they're going to regret this tomorrow. And oh, all my, God. all my fans are like, who the hell is this friend of yours? 
<laughs> and you can't and you can't have a upside private conversation with them to go hey listen um this is awkward uh here's what's ha- here's what's happened here yeah Don't my judge. friend just nodded no because they're totally blasted and um so never mind about that exactly it's like men in black i'm gonna make you forget i said that that's right total total psych out haha what a fun practical joke that was um well so i was this is oh yeah i wanted to tell you i was reading about you know this podcast and i got super nervous because i read about (gasps) awkwardness and teenage life and this the little blurb was saying you know um and how it's not that different now. And I was like, oh my God, (laughs) I suddenly had all these flashbacks. And then it was so funny, (laughs) Janet, because I had this simultaneously flashbacks and then also experiences in my head about memories of like, oh yeah, that kind of thing just happened yesterday. Oh, seriously. I'm still the same, I'm still the same effing person. Okay, we're gonna take a break. I will be back after a word from our wonderful buddies at Maximum Fun. I listen to reading glasses because Bria and Mallory have great tips. You're a comics reader and you want to use a library-connected app, you can try out Hoopla. I listen for the author interviews. I'm mad at myself that I waited as long as I did to start reading Joan Didion. They give me reading advice I didn't even know I needed. If you go in person to an event and go up to an author or a filmmaker or anybody and tell them what they you don't like about their work, you're a trash baby. I, look, I understand you didn't like Heroes Season 3. That's fine. I, like, I don't... <laughs> actually need to know that information. I'm Bria Grant. And I'm Mallory O'Mara. We're Reading Glasses and we solve all your bookish problems every Thursday on Maximum Fun. So you grew up in Austin, yeah? Or you just, or did you move at a certain age? So I grew up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Mm -hmm. You know, just a few hours from here north. Um, Yeah. And the only time I would ever come through Austin is when my mom would take my sister, my stepdad and my mom and my sister and I would go with our aunt and uncle and cousins who turned out to not be actually blood family. I always thought they were and then learned later that they were like three generations of the family grew up together. But anyway, so we would drive. Yeah, we would drive in the summer once one time a summer to New Braunfels to go rafting and um in the in the river there and on the way our parents would stop in Austin and it was like all of us were like oh yeah we're gonna go into that Mexican food restaurant like all the kids we'll Mm -hmm. go in that Mexican food restaurant and our parents will finally have a margarita and then they'll lighten up and everything's (laughs) gonna like now we're on vacation so that was my first impression of Austin which was awesome Uh and and then also it turned out too that um when I, I I dropped out of college um, so that I could go full-time with music, and I still had a job also cooking at a hotel, um, I dropped out of college after my first year of college because I also had an entrepreneurial scholarship, but, but I was, I went from one of those like performing arts high schools, performing mm-hmm. and visual arts high schools. There's one called Booker T. Washington. Uh, School of Performing and Visual Arts in Dallas. It's awesome. And um, so I went from there, uh, it's like 150 people about per class. So it was really small. Definitely partied more in high school than I did in college. 
Mm-hmm. And but I was one of those kids that like was straight laced during the week and then not on the weekend because I wanted to make good grades because I was actually there. I had had to audition and uh, they waived my tuition because I had to drive. I actually lived in this really tiny rural town for the first year of school there. And then I actually moved out on my own and lived first at my best friend's house. Her mom noticed I was crashing on the couch there a lot and mm. then found out that I had already moved away. And I was kind of couch surfing and I was mm-hmm. 16. So um, she invited me to stay at their place. And anyway, point being, um, then when I went to college, it was like, oh my God, I'm in this giant college. It was University of North Texas. Um, thousands and thousands of students. Nobody, mm. nobody gave a shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they wanted me to continue to study opera. And I was trying to be in the jazz program. And I was in, I'd started being in rock bands when I was 16. So I was already doing that before. And I wanted to study more contemporary music. And they wouldn't hire the instructors for vocalists to have improv credits, which meant you couldn't graduate. Mm. So I dropped out. Yeah. And then I got a record deal. So, but the whole thing was just this crazy, like back to what you were saying about high school, it really formed so much, I think, who I was at the time. Sure. That I feel like I have a lot of memories of that time. And also, high school for me was a place like, that place saved my life. I totally, I got an audition. My mom got me an audition to that school and I was living in this really small rural town with nothing, no opportunity. Mm. And I, and I wasn't from there. So I didn't, I didn't fit in with the cool kids and I wasn't born there and I was on the basketball team, but there was a lot of, um, racism, both with the white kids and the young women of color and like it was just crazy it just always felt like hard and my mom Mm -hmm. was a nurse and she married a biker and we lived in a field in a trailer house and it was Mm. just really hard yeah we went from being in the suburbs where my mom had a great job and you know I'm not going to go on and there was a lot a lot happened and so when you said that about memories of high school I just have all these I have a lot of really strong memories because a lot of really intense things happened in my life and in my family's life then. Yeah, it sounds like it. It didn't really stop, but it changed, I think, because I had more, um, I guess I was more, I had more control after I turned Mm -hmm. 18. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. In terms of you uh, getting the scholarship and... um, and then, ha- you know, having to drive for, from so far away, was that something that, you know, were, did, did your mom know that you were have that you would end up kind of couch surfing and she w- was she OK with that? Or was it sort of like it just started to evolve into being that because it just became really hard to drive back and forth and it sort of just like progressed yeah. naturally? Well, you know, not to be dark because there's a lot of I mean, funny, funniness in the darkness, but oh, please! I also embrace both fully. <laughs> I embrace but both fully. The funny part is my mom started dating a guy that she met at a baseball game who worked at a a dealership. He was a mechanic, and he had a handlebar mustache, and he had this old Harley Davidson that was really cool. 
you know, and she had been married to my sister's, my steps, my, I mean, my half sister's dad, who was a musician. No wonder I'm a musician because <laughs> that really shaped me too. And he kept re- wrecking the family cars over and over again, Volkswagen no. bug after Volkswagen bug. And oh, eventually no. my mom was a nurse and she was like, look, I can't keep doing this. You know, she's supporting the family. And mm. he tried. He was he's an incredibly talented musician. Mm-hmm. But he, it was also the music business was just as screwed up then as it can be now. It's, I mean, artists have a lot more control in certain ways now than they did then. But yeah. Point being, all of a sudden we went from suburbia and my mom's married to a musician and she's a nurse to we're out in the middle of a field and she is dating a biker. And But my to your question, my mom communicated with me. She, she asked me, she came to me and said, look, the car's wrecked. I can't get to work. I'm dating this guy. I really like him. He's offered for us to move to his house. I want to know how you feel about that because I was 14. Yeah, and I just turned 14 and high school was just about to start. Mm. And what I really felt was, oh, my God, I have to move away from all my friends. Yeah. I have to go live in a town. And I've my mom managed to keep me in this town right outside of Dallas called Garland, which mm-hmm. is a suburban town. And the reason she got a job with her was so that no matter where we lived, because I, I, I say what we were was um, affordable housing migrant family. Mm-hmm. So we had to move like every six months to get the cheapest rent. And if you lived in Garland, you could still stay in the same school. Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. So my mom made a lot of good decisions and she communicated with me. But I, I wasn't, I said yes, I was okay with that because I knew we really didn't have a choice. Right. You know, the writing was on the wall to me. Right. And she found a solution and I didn't know what it was going to be like, so... I was like optimistic and also trying to be really helpful for my mom. Yeah. And then it was really bad, (laughs) Mm. Um, really hard. But, you know, in the end, Arts Magnet High School literally was like a lifesaver and I learned a lot and I figured out what I wanted to do, which I didn't know before that. And so a lot of good things came out of it, too. And how, how was it living with, uh, now I just sound like I'm mining for negative stuff, which I'm 1000% not, but, um, and I'll tell you. I'm actually a funny person, by the way. Uh, Listen, (laughs) we're not, there's a lot going on in the world right now. And I'm like really digging around in your past. So, uh, but I don't want you to, to give it a second thought. Um, no one's saying that you have to be funny. We'll get to the funny. I mean, and also if we don't, I'm sure there are plenty of people who are like, you know what? I don't really need to hear funny. I just want to hear human beings like be vulnerable and be honest about what they're going through or what they went through. So no sweat at all. Um, I think about some of my friendships in high school and I think about whether they would have survived me living with their families. Um, And I think there, I have some friends where that actually is very imaginable. And then there are some friends where I sort of get a feeling in the pit of my stomach, like, oof, that would, that would push us. Like that would test the boundaries, I think, of our, of our kind of personal space. Um, Mm -hmm. Was it, but were you the former? Did it work out? Was it, um, was it kind of okay on your friendship? Did it tax it? Well, I kind of had some experience because growing up, like a lot of the, I, a lot of the, I was, I was an athlete and also a musician. 
And so even though I didn't come from a upper middle class or whatever, whatever, I mean, labels, whatever, I, I stayed with a lot of my friends. I mean, we all did, like, especially girls. It's like you stay with your friends and you hang out and you, yeah, you know, like I didn't know it until later, but I also, you know, started dating women later in life. But it was more just like you love your friends and you um, need your friends and you feel really strong like ties and you take care of each other and you and you're more aware of the real adult world than parents realize and oh yeah you have really intimate relationships you know yeah beyond or before sexuality you know really emerges Mm -hmm. and so I had experiences with like the delicacy or the you know kind of walking a line of dealing with other people's parents and I grew up you know old school like Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Respect your elders. You know, I, I I was definitely raised by my mom to not cause problems and to be really respectful, at least like in person. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, we've all have our, our we had our teenage conversations and world. But right. Um, but so I think that set me up for when my friend Paige's mom invited me to stay with them. And I asked my mom then, is this okay with you? Mm-hmm. And she knew I was not, I couldn't keep staying there. And she knew she couldn't keep staying there either, but she had to figure out a way out. And it turned out that, to your question, it was hard. I mean, Meg, my best friend's mom, was a single mom, real estate agent in Dallas, and an incredible woman. But having another teenager that you didn't raise move into your house yeah. is a stretch. You know, yeah. you're already dealing with one, t- yeah. you know, hormo- hormonal teenager. Yep. And uh, so I, I'm forever thankful to them. And I still thank Meg and Paige to this day. Paige is one of the only people I'm still in touch with from high school. But it definitely was a stretch. I mean, and I knew when the I knew when the moment came where it was like, this is hard on them and it's pushing bu- buttons for them. And so I'm going to go. Mm. You know, that's like um, that's another thing that I think is so lovely about how much we perceive as younger people is that, you know, you can be clueless as an adult and you can be clueless as a child and you can be clueless as a teenager. But you also can be extraordinarily sensitive to kind of reading the room, for lack of a better term, Um, and to have the yeah, to have the presence of mind to go like almost like before, you know, like maybe not let's quick while we're ahead but but sort of I don't want to like the at the first sign of you know I want to be ready to take action rather than like oh you started to notice it but you all of these circumstances have piled up to where you're like well they're gonna have to deal with me for another year or whatever oh yeah I mean to be fair like yeah we were but both Paige and I were mostly straight A students I graduated with honors which was like freaking miracle for real because I did I was also in a rock band I also played in bars you know um and what were you a, what were you I was playing in a, I was in a prog rock band when I was 16 oh that couldn't love that like one. original prog rock and uh, that's amazing. and uh, yeah and we and and Paige is a visual artist so she was hanging out with all the visual artists weirdos and making really cool art and yeah we were Meg would say girls remember who you are when we'd go out and then we're like raging and we're running we're teenagers or we would come home and we would steal 
you know, vodka out of the bottle and stick, you know, in the crystal bottle and stick water back in it. God, I hope yeah. Paige and Meg don't care that I'm saying this, but it's hilarious. You know, it's what teenagers do, and and, totally. and Paige and I laugh about it now. So, you know, we were we were being really good in a lot of ways, but it was too much, you know. And luckily, yeah. I don't know if you know this, but I founded a nonprofit called Step Onward Foundation specifically yeah. because of these stories, right? And a lot of it's like, so I moved out, and I was able to apply to get my own apartment, even though I wasn't 18. Um just by talking an apartment complex into letting me apply somehow, even though it wasn't really usually okay, unless you had, your parents could like, I think my mom said it was, told them it was okay, because I needed mm -hmm. her help, mm -hmm. but she couldn't like guarantee the lease, right? So I just had right. to prove that I had a job. So I did have a job. I got my, Meg got me a job at a restaurant with a chef after this guy tried to grab my ass when I served him soup and I was a food runner. Um, oh the I went back to the kitchen because I wanted to pour the soup into the guy's lap. <laughs> and yeah, the chef's name was Brian. And I, I went back and vented. I was like, guys, this jerk just like grabbed me. And I was I had hot soup in my hand and I had the impulse to pour it in his lap, but I didn't because I can't get fired because I have an apartment and I'm trying to make a living and finish school mm. and I'm trying to graduate with good grades. And uh, he was like, Patrice, do you want a job in the kitchen? And that night they took me off the floor and he started training me in the kitchen to cook. Wow. It was Talk awesome. Talk about a blessing in disguise. Yeah. Listen, I want to go out and find that ass grabber and shake his hand and just say, great <laughs> job, buddy, because you really paved the way. What an totally. angel. What an angel in disguise. You, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, I got a job that was actually more flexible, too. And when Brian finished developing the menu at this place, he took me with him and gave me a job at the hotel he went to. So I got a better job I got a raise I got to learn all this cooking stuff and I got an even more flexible job where I could cook from six in the morning till two in the afternoon go to college have college classes around that and then play in a band at night yeah that's too much but I did it I, I, it, I'm I can't believe you did that I mean I really <laughs> am impressed that's, <laughs> that would that would be way too much for me um I think I would probably like I mean, I sort of did, right? That's like my the end of my freshman year of college. I kind of had like what I now sort of think of as a nervous breakdown. Um, okay, yeah. You know, because I, I just, for as much as it was right for me to be on my own and it was right for me to have moved away from home and it was right for me to go to school and all that kind of stuff, um, once I overcommitted myself uh, at that age, um, you know, I was just, I guess I was just anxious enough that it was like sitting right under the surface. And, mm -hmm. and I really needed to, I like, I look back, and I'm like, oh, I should have let go of, of some of that. Um, but I had friends who were doing it all, you know, and, 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 uh, and I, I find that so impressive. And, and also just impressive to, you know, to care enough, like, to care enough about each one of those things to do right by all of them as best you could for as long as you could is really impressive. Because, there's definitely like a version of that that is, you know, I 
I was supposed to be getting to work from 6 a.m. to, you know, blank a.m., but yeah. then I just couldn't do it because the band was playing till this time. And so, you know, it, the, yeah. if you're sort of not showing up literally and and figuratively. Um, but the but the fact that, you know, you were you were really putting the time in to try to balance those things because they all had a, a value to you until you until you left school, until, you yeah. know, as you said, well, that that college experience was like, come on. Yeah. Yes. Well, and also I actually had by the time I was in college, I wasn't on my own. I I wasn't a lease, but I had fallen in love with the bass player in my band. And so we were together. We were living together. And so I, I I didn't have to pay for everything, but I had a responsibility, you know, together. We were paying for everything. Yeah. And so both having day jobs, both playing in bands at night, and I was going to the school that he had graduated from. He was a jazz and rock bass player. He was in the first prog rock band that I was in. That's how we met. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, then it was like, okay, next level. And here I'm thinking, wow, I thought I was so grown up back then. I was, I was still only, I graduated when I was um, 17. So I didn't turn 18 until a few months after I graduated high school. And then we were already together dating and then living together. And then I went to college and then I dropped out because we were getting ready to figure out how to be full-time musicians. Mm-hmm. What did, um, by the way, I, I also graduated at 17 and that is another thing that I look back on and like, because my birthday's in February, so I didn't turn 18 until, you know, the second semester of my freshman year of college. Oh my and that God. really, that really hits home for me now. I'm like, oh my God, I was like, you know, I was, I, I was behaving like an adult before, but again, you were, you had, you know, you moved out and you had your own apartment. Like, so I, I know you get it, but to look yeah. back now and go like, Oh God, I really, you know, I wasn't even 18. Like I couldn't vote. <laughs> it just it's yeah. really funny got, to me now. I got married when I was 19. Oh, you did get well. Listen. I was not old enough. I was not mature enough, but then you're doing all these other things that are yeah, you know, you're making a living, you're high functioning, you're but yeah. I look back now and I'm like, "Oh, those were my survival coping mechanisms." Sure. Sure. You know, I brought not a lot of tools to that marriage and that sucks because we ended up getting divorced a couple of years later. But yeah. Um and he was what an, was is, is an incredible person and I regret that, but we we made amends and we you know all that stuff. But God, you would hope um, so because again, to your point, you know, your brain wasn't even finished cooking yet. Like you're, you know, short of murdering him, there's probably like, (laughs) there's probably amends to be made for all kinds of stuff that we do. Um, you know, at at 17, 18, 19, 20, probably even 21. Yeah. Um, When when is anybody married when they're 19 and they're working with their husband or partner or spouse and living together? And, you know, he, he had a serious medical event. And so then we went through that and I wasn't old enough to deal with all of mm. that, but yeah. I didn't know it until later. It's always in looking back in of life, course. right? It's like, of Oh my God, I can't believe I did all those things. Oh, of course. What was your, what was your dating life like, um, in high school? It sounds like there was, you know, because of the way you've described it and, and the sort of intimacy of a smaller school that really has a focus on creativity and the arts. Um, I feel like that's, possibly even a more loaded environment for intimacy and for the sort the sort of like I don't know like a passion 
pressure cooker in a sense, but it could also just, it could also just allow for, um, like more friendships and things to not be as big of a deal. Like for me, the theater department at my first college was very small and very insular and very um, incestuous <laughs> at the yeah. end. But it kind of didn't matter because it was so small and everybody sort of was accepting. So it was like, it was sort of, it was almost easier that 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 there was so much like interdating going on and like hurt feelings because it just that was sort of the norm so people also got over stuff faster what was it like for you in the, in that environment were there a lot of like relationships fluttering around or were people really focused on just their work well i i wanted to date a couple of different people in high school but it just did it didn't happen um like i moved uh, from the little town outside of Dallas. And then I I had written some letters to my family about becoming depressed about being where I was. And my mom knew about it. And my grandparents got one of the letters. And they actually reached out and offered for me to go live with them. So I moved again. And that was in a town of a lot of mostly privileged white kids in a small town that had a different socioeconomic sort of spectrum than the town I was living in before. And my grandfather was the president of the Chamber of Commerce, but we didn't have a lot of money. Hmm. And then I moved again, and that's when my I had to go back to the small town because my grandparents were moving to Fort Stockton and my mom had already lived there before and she knew what that would be like. And then I was mad she wouldn't let me go. So then I moved back to the small town and then she got me the audition. So point being is I didn't stay in the same place. Hmm. And then... I ended up dating outside of the high school I was at, small high school, and I met um, a guy that I liked, and he was in a different high school in a town called Duncanville. And we're still friends today, but at the time, it was like we were all at-risk teenagers. Hmm. He he was a graduated teenager, 18 years old, working full-time, and we were just a bunch of misfits loving like listening to prog rock and heavy metal and going to concerts and them coming to see my bands and uh I kind of was hanging out with a lot of kids that were doing a lot of things they probably you know normal teenagers weren't doing that were like, going to school you, can you expand on that a little bit well all of us had jobs all of us a lot, not all of us, but a lot of us lived outside of our family of origin, you know, home at that point. Yeah. And then also a lot of us, like there was a lot of, um, some kids were, you know, dealing pot and some kids were, I mean, finding ways to make a living, you know, yeah. I, I didn't, and, and, I, it's hard for me to talk about this since I founded the nonprofit, and I'm always like, oh, God, if someone listens to part of this. But the reality is that's part of why I started Step Onward, and the truth yeah. is that was I was super at risk when I was a teenager. Yeah. And yeah. so were all the kids around me, and at the same time, the AIDS crisis was happening. Like, I was 16, and my stepfather's brother was an artist in New York, and it was 1986, and his brother died when I was still living at home. Mm. And my biker dad like fell on his knees and cried. Mm. There was a lot of crazy stuff going on then, just yeah. like there is now. Yeah. And it was hard. Yeah. I mean, I think when you, when you talk about stuff like this, I, I, I think sh unless you were like 
dude, I wouldn't change a thing because it was glorious. <laughs> like, yeah. it's totally, well, we had a lot of fun. It's I mean, totally okay. Yeah. yeah, but I feel the same way. I mean, I've, I've, I've definitely like because you know I've you know like sort of like I've bared it all I've born it all I don't really know what the past tense of that is I realize as I'm saying it but um, (laughs) talking about drug use and stuff especially uh, you know I had really mixed feelings about it because I don't ever yeah I I would never want to feel responsible for a teenager's decision to do something that I have no control over what happens to them I have no control over where it leads them I have no you know I just don't I don't want to be an influence in that way, but at the same time, I feel like I want to be honest about um, experiences I did have uh, in part because of the risk, right? In part because of what you're saying. I mean, very much the same, like looking at looking at choices I made and, and, the, and the kind of two different kids that were living at that time inside my body um, yeah. to be able to, you know carry on with being responsible enough to yes get good grades and like have to you know have to get it together and show up to church with my mom every Sunday because that was like a requirement and Mm -hmm. and then also you know like wake up in a place I had had no idea where I was or how to get home really as like a 14 year old going to clubs and stuff um that I like once those two kids became the same kid again if that makes any sense which sort of did happen yeah. in college mm-hmm. um now I I sort of look at the person who was doing those at-risk things and I can see so much more clearly how it wouldn't have mattered that I was by all other stretches you know a quote-unquote good kid if all it would have taken is one bad decision you know all it would have taken is one car accident like there's every opportunity in those moments where I was at my most wild and reckless that, you know, straight A's can't, would never change. Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like there was totally there, there can be no balance if you make a deadly mistake. So I really get it. I really get it. And, and, and so, you know, the important thing is, is that you, that you started the organization and, and that you're, you know, that you're, that you're encouraging young people to make safer choices and stuff like that. Totally. And it has so much to do with a lot of the mentors in my life were teachers and stuff. And they knew I was struggling. They knew, you know, I was making great grades, but I'm working a job and I'm my English teacher, Scott Davidson, would let me sleep with my sunglasses on with my head, you know, propped up on my hands. I mean, okay, that's just like an 80s movie right there. I mean, it's true. And <laughs> it's exactly what high school was like. And so many of us, a lot of kids from Arts Magnet, um, had jobs and lived outside the home or like would figure out how to live together. And I mean, it was an incredible place. And, and if you were making good, if you didn't make good grades, you got, you you went on probation and then you got kicked out just like if you're in sports, but we didn't have sports. Yeah. So like, I hear what you're saying about this two teenagers inside your body. Like one teenager is raging at the Texas jam and shouldn't even be there with all her bros. Like I'm sitting on top of shoulders, you know, And, uh, you know, in a bikini with a fire hose pointed at all of us while Van Halen is playing. I mean, that was awesome. We had so much fun. And then back to school on Monday and making straight A's. But then I go to geometry and I can't figure it out because I've moved three times, Mm -hmm. you know. And so or chemistry, I drop because I'm going to fail. And if I don't drop it and I cry because I've never dropped a class before and my mom is a nurse, you know, it's like. 
ah, you're just trying to figure out how to survive and you're making the best decisions that you can, hopefully. But about the foundation, like it's mentorship, it's making sure kids have somebody to talk to, it's filling their gaps with some funding so they can go to college. You know, it's like all these things and it was really, part of it was modeled after my personal experience and then a woman that I met when I was on tour who, like you're saying, like it can be like with every every person who's ever come through Step Onward, um, it, it can be one different decision that you make and change yeah. your life. You're in yeah. prison, you have a car accident, you kill someone accidentally with yeah. your car, yeah. you um, you know you get busted. I mean, in, all these things can happen, and it it really is a part of understanding that there's, we're not all really that different, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. like these little bits of degrees of separation of a decision you made, and it's not because you're a better person. Yes, you know. 100%. And so helping to pass that on to people is what you're talking about, I think, the responsibility to be honest and say, look, this is, this is who I was, this is what I did, this could have happened to me, this happened to you, I'm not going to judge you. Let's talk about making better decisions. Yeah. You're worth it. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. I couldn't love that more. Um, and we'll definitely put the link to uh, the site in our show notes and stuff so that people can can check it out. Um, and obviously, same goes with uh, the upcoming record, which is very exciting and cool. And that actually, yeah. gets, I, I wanted to ask you, and then um, we'll probably get into this MASH game in a, in a couple minutes, but uh, I wanted to ask too, where does like composing the music fit in? I mean, were you writing alone uh, in your spare time and then getting together and and sort of jamming through stuff uh, with the band? Was somebody else also bringing in music? Like who, like, because yeah. that's incredibly time consuming as well. Yeah, well, so the story about this is Wayne and I started a band called Little Sister, which was like a funk rock jam band. And we toured with like, we were barely old enough to drink. And then we're getting tours with Allman Brothers and Blues Traveler and That's Widespread so Panic and um, Dave Matthews and all these people. And then we had to change our band name to Sister Seven because this band in Massachusetts tried to sue us because their oh name was also little sister but they're a cover band and they never tour anywhere oh and they wanted 40 grand and we're like hell no so oh so uh, basically we were, they had some like cursory way of showing that maybe they had named themselves like before you did even though it's they not had like you, three three you weeks like, different like hear about them and go i've got yeah. it we'll steal their they're, name we were going for a trademark and we found out that they had used their name in a flyer or something three weeks before we had our first newspaper oh feature. Yeah. So we were getting signed it to um, EMI Records and so they were just like, no, let's just change your name. No reason to spend all that money. Right. Even though we had a brand and we'd already been touring. So we became Sister Seven, point being. Uh -huh. And the point is, <laughs> Wayne and I always wrote together but sometimes separately, but mostly together, and also with our bandmates in Sister Seven. But the hits that were on Sister Seven records turned out to be more kind of song-oriented, you know, pop rock kind of tunes mm -hmm. that was on like MTV and on the radio. So we, and we started the band in the first place. So we kept re uh, just working together over the years through our careers and then 
we decided to make Pike and Sutton because we've been musical soulmates forever. So when we started writing this record, to your question, um, funny story, like for one example, uh, I mean, we wrote all the songs together. That's part of what's different about this record is Wayne and I wrote co-wrote all the songs except for two. One I wrote by myself and one he wrote by himself. Mm. So I would do something like go to the gym, go in the sauna, and there was nobody in there, and I had a song idea. So I had my phone, and I turn on the voice memo, and I'm I also play drums, so I'm beating on different boards, getting different tones, awesome. hoping nobody's going to come into the right. sauna because I'm singing like a maniac, beating That's on the amazing. boards, recording a song. And uh, luckily nobody came in. I figured finished the song idea, and then I would take it to Wayne, and we would develop it, or vice versa. He would have an idea Da, da, da. So we wrote all the songs together, and then we created a band. We picked all the people we wanted to record with, and um, they were, they've been all, except for one, friends of ours since our when we were in our 20s. And we all got together and went and recorded in Santa Fe, and then we recorded in L.A. and Austin, and we spent two years making the record. I'm so proud of it. We just mm. have a, a new song just started being added to radio around the country. It's called Let the Music Get You High. Oh, and nice. Yeah, you should check it out. And it has little things about it that are also about Step Onward and, and what that's all about. But it's beautiful. And this young woman named Azula dances, and the band just gives this fierce performance in the studio here called Arlen. And... um. So, yeah, we wrote everything together and just played, dip, Wayne plays different instruments too. So that's how we developed the record. That's fabulous. I love that Asana is, is has like very good sort of like sound recording booth, like muffled. <laughs> I mean, it's totally. basically, <laughs> you basically were in a recording studio anyway, so might as well take advantage. Um, totally. um and then what was the last thing I was going to say? Oh, this is the last thing I was going to say before the MASH game is, um, you know, my my best experience to compare to what it would maybe be like for you guys when recording an album and then taking it out on tour is like doing, for example, voiceover where, you know, if you're recording everything before the first season or something before it comes out and you the, the the process of recording is so small and intimate and you know there are so few people who are present and who are kind of like tracking what's happening and what the process is and then the difference between that and it sort of going out into the world and then actually going out on tour to share that um that just seems so night and day to me and I'm and I wonder like how that what, what that and and I'm obviously you're not getting the same kind of opportunity to do it because of the strange circumstances of the world at the moment. But yeah, is that, is the, is that kind of a, is that kind of a funky, like what's that like for you to just sort of be very cocooned in the, in the process of making something and then going out and sharing it live? Well, it's like, so yeah, it's from being in a sauna, you know, by myself, hoping no one will walk in and playing a rhythm. Boom. And that turns into a song yeah. to being in the studio in Santa Fe and the whole six piece band is playing in a giant room to uh, going to different studios and bringing different people in to, to do the overdubs, you know, at different times to um, 
suddenly we're at Austin City Limits Festival playing our first festival as Pike and Sutton and actually playing that song to a crowd of people. Yeah. And, you know, the same weekend that Lizzo is like this explosive, bursting, open, worldwide phenomenon. And yeah. like, just, yeah, going from Cocoon to this big space. And then now what's so crazy is we're so excited about going to Lollapalooza, Chile and having our next experience like that. And suddenly we're actually back in this cocoon, which isn't normal to yeah, put a record out. That's so much what so, I was thinking. Yeah. So like I just did an online concert last night on Facebook. Uh huh. I had help? no idea. I, it was so amazing. I had no idea. So that's how we're coming out of our cocoon, right? Like we're connecting virtually and there were something like 500, 600 people all of a sudden, and I hadn't even promoted it, and I awesome. didn't even invite anyone till the night before. And there were all these people from, I had Italian, French, um, and then people from all different states um, showing up and saying, hey, it's been so long since you've been on tour here. This is so exciting. I've been wanting to hear you for so long live. Oh. Can't wait for your new record. And I just, I honestly didn't know how many people had been sort of like not intentionally neglected. Like, <laughs> right, you know, right. people who are real fans that would come to every show and we would go to their town who and we now just they ha haven't oh. gone there. And now they, ha and, and so God, yeah, that's like such a weird kind of wonderful in between, unexpected in between because of everything, the way kind of everything unfolded that you still, like you don't have the experience of being on the stage and the sort of live performance of the crowd feedback and that, but to have people who have this sort of more immediate access to you who can express on a one-on-one -on -one level, even as you're doing the show for a bunch of people who turn up for it, um, they still have the opportunity to like say specific words to you about what your music means and you know where they are and 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 feeling like you're connected to like the whole world at one time, which is kind of not possible when you're on one stage at Lollapalooza. That's so crazy, isn't it? Yeah, and I got a lot of messages today too about how they felt, like I felt connected and I felt so appreciated and people were requesting songs I hadn't played in forever and I was like going out on a limb and learning what people miss hearing. But also I got I got messages today on, on uh, both Facebook and my phone of people saying, like I have a friend whose partner just had uh, surgery to get rid of a breast cancer tumor. Mm. And she said, some people call me P, just like my initial. Mm -hmm. I felt so connected to everybody. And I was like, wow, everyone is so isolated in a lot of ways. Mm. And especially because my friend can't be around people because her partner's at risk, you know? Yeah. I was like, oh, wow. I was I was like, I can't believe, like, all the, the layers of benefits that that had. Plus, I was able to take donations for the staff at the bar I normally play at on Thursdays. Mm. And now I'm doing it every Thursday night. And I'm going to be able to send tips to the bartenders and the sound man and my band because they couldn't play with me last night because we're quarantining right now. Oh, oh, it's time for a quick break. I will be back after a word from our friends at Maximum Fun. Macho man to the top rope. The flying elbow, the cover. We've got a new champion. 
we're here with Macho Man Randy Savage after his big win to become the new world champion. What are you going to do now, Match? I'm going to go listen to the newest episode of the Tights and Fights podcast. Oh, yeah. Tell us more about this podcast. It's the podcast of power. Too sweet to be sour. Funky like a monkey. Woke discussions, man. And jokes about wrestlers' fashion choices, myself excluded. I can't wait to listen. Neither can I. You can find it Saturdays on Maximum Fun. Oh, yeah. Dig it. Uh, okay, well, let's let's get into this MASH game. Um, okay. I'm, I'm going to start with, uh, with what for me feels like an obvious question, obvious category to come up with for you, uh, which would be three musicians. It could be a whole band or just like a member of a band or singer-songwriter that are um, living or dead uh, that, you know, you would love to collaborate with. Let's take all of the, let's make it all magic and anything is possible. Um, let's see. It would be uh, off the top of my head. God dang, David Bowie. Great. Um, and it would be uh, Bon Iver. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And <laughs> let's see. I think. Mm, how about Brittany Howard? Yes. Great. 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 Howard and also this is allowed to be like in this moment these are the things I'm thinking of this is my answer for this moment not like and it's set in stone tomorrow I better feel the same way okay (laughs) I got you you know what I mean you could top of I just had musicians cascading through my head so probably maybe other questions won't be as hard yeah well we're gonna we're about to find out (laughs) um okay let's do three places in the world where you have either have played and know you love or have never played and want to um that you could have sort of like the the your ideal kind of gig uh, and getting there is no issue like you're teleporting so it's not like oh it's so far away i have played in paris in a bar and that was awesome great i have played at red rocks in colorado which is awesome and I love both of those so much. I would love to do that again. And then I want to pick a place I've never played in. Let's see. Um, I would love to play Royal Albert Hall in London. Okay. The next question is going to be, let's do three. Well, this is a fun one. I always like this. Um, let's do three movies that you can jump into whenever you want and just hang there. So it can just be the atmosphere, the characters. It's not like you're reliving the plot. It's just like three movies that you can escape into whenever you want. The original Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, yeah. I am a Star Wars freak and I really love, I can't believe they did such an awesome job for the last one. I know, so I'll right? pick that one. Great. And even though I saw the first one on my birthday when I was seven years old. Amazing. Um, <laughs> and one more, Escape. I guess I would pick, well, that was too violent. I can't escape into that one. <laughs> That's too rough for my empathetic per- personality <laughs> brain. You know what was hilarious was uh, Jojo Rabbit Ugh, I knew in a, you were in a very that. serious, important way. Yeah. yeah. Like the combination of the satirical elements and that little boy coming to understand things 
Yeah, loved it. And love someone loved so it. deeply yeah i cannot think of a movie i saw last year that i didn't love more than that i really i really really loved it and i also have a very bad memory for movies and stuff so i can see things over and over and be like oh yeah but that movie i feel like i remember every moment of because it just seared itself into my heart immediately um yeah. love great 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 choices okay <laughs> uh next category now this is our mash game so we want to uh inject some romance in there so this is an alternate universe three people and it can be like characters from books it can be cartoons it can be you know anyone living or dead like it can be an actor but just in the role they played in this one movie uh sky is the limit three mm. You're making me nervous. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, Kate Beckinsale. Great. And uh, the guy from Casino Royale, uh, James Bond. Oh, What's great. his name? Daniel Craig. Great. Whoa. Yeah. Totally fine. Yeah, And yes. I think, uh, mm, I would say also Kate Blanchett in Elizabeth. Oh, the first Kate Blanchett Elizabeth. in anything, but, in, but she's so <laughs> luminous in that, so fierce. Yes. Um, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Uh, okay, great, great choices. Next category. <clears throat> uh, in our alternate universe, there are no foods that you're allergic to. There are no foods that make you fat. There are no foods that are bad for the environment. Everything is the same and everything is fine. So mm. this is three foods that you can have. It can be as specific as like a very specific ch chocolate chip cookie you love, or it could just be cookies. But three things that you want to be able to eat as much as you want of with zero ramifications. Oh my God. Okay. Have you ever heard of Amy's ice cream? Uh, oh yeah, Amy, yeah, Amy's ice cream. Is that? Texas? Oh my god! Or is that yes? Yeah, it so started good. here in Austin, so it has to be very specific. Amy's ice cream hot fudge sundae with walnuts Ooh. and whipped cream. Oh my god! With um, Mexican vanilla. Oh, very nice. Very and nice. bananas. Oh. Mexican chocolate and Did that Mexican make your vanilla. mouth water? Yeah, it really did. Like, they've got that <laughs> locked down. That, that is a delicious flavor. Fantastic. Okay, that's one. Give me two more. Okay. Um, foods. I am, like, a maniac for uh, just chicken enchiladas mm -hmm. as long as they're great everywhere. Great. Spicy verde sauce. Oh, very nice. Very nice. One more. I think it would be... Oh. Mm. My mom's fried chicken and gravy. Oh, nice. And no offense to the animals. Like, this is also the animals wouldn't be harmed. That's, that's correct. That's the beauty of this alternate universe. It's like <laughs> magically the the flavors are all there, but like no nothing bad has happened to anyone like that, or that anything. That would be the best thing ever if you could make right? chicken Without not chicken? be chicken that yeah. was harmed. That's yeah. what I want. Well, listen, and I want I it mean, to be my mom's. I have eaten, and, I, and I'm sure someone will write me and be like, D but don't you know that the, the, the phosphate used in the blah, blah, blah is blah, blah, blah. But like, I, if I never, I mean, impossible burgers. Like I haven't eaten beef in, you know, 20 years, um, yeah. maybe more. And I didn't even think I missed it. I'm like, it wasn't one of those things that I was like, oh, I miss it. I was like, no, I'm really okay without it. And then the impossible burger came on the scene 
And now I eat burgers like all the time. It's <laughs> like, so good. Apparently, I've been desperately missing hamburgers for 20 I years. I just had and one. I didn't even know it. Like a month ago. Oh, yeah. So good. They're incredible. So good. And then I put all the things. You might have uh, some delicious fried chicken and gravy that turns out, you know, is every bit as good. It's, and it's the impossible chicken. It's the impossible chicken. I hope they're hard at work on that right now. I hope so. Uh, um, okay, great, great, great. Um, let's do next category. Let's do... Ooh, I'm trying to think if there's anything like if you have any hidden like I'm secretly a nerd for this or I'm openly a nerd for this Janet but you just don't know it uh things in your world like in pop culture definitely tell me and I will incorporate them in for for at least one of these last categories like are you you know are you a book nerd are you um do you secretly, like me, love uh, interior design and decorating things and making nests uh, for yourself <laughs> and other people? Uh, are you an art fiend? Is there anything else that you're sort of like, oh my God, we didn't talk about this because we were talking about X, Y, and Z, but I've always loved yada, yada. No pressure. Oh my God. I wanted to I give love, it you the opportunity. I love art museums. Oh, nice. I love, okay. I, I went to... Uh, Copenhagen and Amsterdam recently last November and that was the thing like uh, yeah I've I've smoked weed before I'm going to art museums in Amsterdam yes, yes. I don't care like I'm, yes. I want to look at uh, ancient art in Copenhagen from um, from Syria which is what I did oh wow that's great um, okay. Okay. So let me, so here's, here's now I'm going to make this a very complicated category from something very simple. So watch how I ruin it. Um, <laughs> three museum exhibits slash, you know, it can be painting, sculpture, it can be historical, like going to the Met, three museum exhibits that you can step into and essentially it takes you to that time and place but you're safe like there's a safety bubble so it's not like you're gonna suddenly get cholera can i also go back in time yes okay so the musee d'orsay in paris but 20 years ago when there it wasn't crowded with people and you're like struggling to get up the stairs great god yeah because i just went i just went to the van gogh museum in 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 Amsterdam, but the Musée d'Orsay was like, no one was around me. I'm 25 years old, and I'm seeing Van Gogh paintings in real life for the first time. Holy crap. Fabulous. Fabulous. Okay, got it. Musée d'Orsay, yep, great. And then, um, uh, yeah, that that exhibit, it, it has to be ones I've been to, um, I mean, you can imagine what an exhibit that you've never seen might be. Yeah. Like if you if you know that you would want to sort of see the I'll, pyramids. I'll stick being with built, where I've you been. Know what I mean, okay, I'll, I'll stick with I'll stick with where I've been. I mean, yeah, no, I don't want to see the pyramids built being built. We know what happened then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but uh, the the uh, something similar to it was going to this exhibit um, of the Syrian ancient. Uh, it was like it wasn't real. It was art, but it was like. It was like carvings of Aramaic and Greek. Mm, wow. And it was um, these beautiful, like they actually had uh, the things that they made paint out of, you know, different herbs and plants. Oh, and totally. Th- like the colors were so vibrant. Like oak, yeah. Yes. Totally. I love that. I love. It was incredible. I love the, th- the 3D of that when you, when it's a thoughtful exhibit and you see like they crushed up these berries and it made this like amazing magenta paste and then painted these. Yeah. I love that. 
Yeah, okay, great. they also so, got that. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, oh, and then, uh, uh, well, I was just going to say the last one, but you're more than the welcome to complete one. your thought about the, the Syrian art. I put that down. Well, I was going to tell you, they had actual, like, um, voices talking. Oh, wow. In a, yeah. Like, you stand in the circle, and you could hear all these different people talking, oh. and it was like you were in Syria, but oh, wow. way back then. That's it amazing. It was amazing. And then you could, could walk around after you had your eyes closed, and you could see what the person was and what they did and all the stuff. But I love that. So that's that's one, so It was very... Yeah, very uh, sensual, like very yeah. like sens- sensory, like overload. Awesome, love it. Um, I'm a huge fan of the Chicago. Um, I, I'm just seeing visions in my head of different art that I saw there recently. I th- I is it the Art Institute time. of Chicago? Art Institute. Yeah. Okay. Oh my cool. god. I'm. A, I mean, the for me, I spent uh, almost the whole time in the miniature rooms taking pictures of them because I couldn't believe. Like when you're looking at a picture of it, it looks like you should be able to walk into it. It's oh, they're, really? they're lit so beautifully. Yeah, there's. I'll send you a couple of pictures. There's there's an amazing, amazing um, series of rooms that you just the way that they're lit and they're so immaculate. It you you can't your eyes sort of can't accept that it's miniaturized. Like it seems like oh this is a room I should be able to just sit down in. Um, Okay, next category, I will do three skills that you wake up with tomorrow uh, that you've sort of downloaded into your brain. You're like, suddenly I'm an expert at this. Three things. I am an expert at speaking Spanish. Great. I can play drums as well as... uh, Have you ever seen Carlos Santana's wife, Cindy, play drums? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I can, insane. I can play drums as well as her. Great. And uh, I can, um, can you have superpowers? You know what? Throw some superpowers in there. I'm not shy. I can fly. Great. Great, 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 great. Okay, final category. Oof, this is where it gets, I get very, um, suddenly put a lot of pressure on myself. It's a tradition. <laughs> um, let's do... Okay, I don't know why. You know what? I you know why? I do know why. I'm thinking about this because of what you said about that um, that institute. But um, this is gonna be totally weird. But like, <laughs> you have a box that whenever you open it, you can smell a smell, a very specific smell. Three smells that if you, no matter where you were, wanted to open your little box and just get a whiff of something, three smells. I've never done the category before. I don't, other than the okay. us talking about the sensuousness of that exhibit, could not tell you why I said it. Okay. Uh, the first one that came to mind is honey. Oh, sure. Which is my favorite. I think one of the best foods ever created by nature. It's kind of a miracle. Sorry, vegans. I think, you know, the bees are okay. Or at least I want them to be okay. I know yeah. they're not. Anyway, um, there's my empathy again. I know. Uh, know. (laughs) It's like, yeah, it just comes out. Um, A smell. Okay, so the smell of sage burning makes me feel really calm. Me too. And the last smell would be uh, after a rainstorm in Hawaii standing next to a waterfall and a fruit farm. 
Oh my God. Amazing. Why? Somewhere some perfumist is like, I accept your challenge. Uh, <laughs> Rainforest, Hawaii, waterfall, fruit farm. I will not know what my chicken scratch writing says. So this is going to be interesting. Okay. <laughs> uh, pick a number between one and seven. Seven. Okay. Um, I am going to, I mean, I think it's very likely that my dear producer Julian will probably be able to audit, uh, edit out a little bit of silence. So I'm going to do some quick calculation and then I'm going to tell you what your results are. Oh, okay. Let's pretend I drew just a, a fantastic, you know, I'll tell you what, let's pretend that I drew, well, this is what I was drawing. I was drawing the architecture of the Musée d'Orsay because Ooh. you have uh, ac unlimited access to um, not only the world of the musée with all of its different works, but if you want to, you can step right on sort of through them into the time and see Monet working on his paintings and walk through those gardens or see Van Gogh and wonder uh, if there's anything you could do to help his incredible crippling depression. Um, you know, what? maybe I want to go back there. <laughs> no, I do. I do. Okay, good, good, good. Okay, so you got uh, you got our, our wonderful Musée d'Orsay. You have uh, an apartment. <laughs> this is a funny combination. I'm going to put your apartment inside the movie that you got. So you have an apartment somewhere inside the last Star Wars movie. Um, yes. A lot of possibilities there. So it could almost be like, you know what? I think apartment might even translate to like the spaceship you live in, kind of like the Millennium uh -huh. Falcon. I saw so the Millennium Falcon right it, away. Exactly. So that's your quote unquote apartment. Congratulations. Uh, yes. I want to also congratulate you for your uh, love affair with Daniel Craig. Mm. Not to be outdone, you've also collaborated with the great David Bowie. Excellent. Which is kind of uh, magical on its own as well. Uh, in fact, I think you two performed it. You performed together at the Ro at Royal Albert Hall in London. Yes, um, which was a legendary performance. A lot. One of the reasons it was so legendary is you actually flew onto the stage <laughs> because oh you have God. the power of flight. So that was a, a hell of a way to start. I have oxytocin flowing through my body right now. A wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. This is why we play. I just Mash. saw it happen. This is why we play Mash. Uh, so yes, so you can fly. Um, listen, you're going to be traveling the world. Uh, if you're flying, uh, that's going to expend a lot of calories. I want you to rest assured that you can have unlimited Amy's hot fudge sundays. Yes. Uh, delicious. Zero ramifications. And um, speaking of zero ramifications, uh, I want to extend the everything's fine, everything's safe, nothing's getting hurt to your smell box, which is uh, one of the miracle that is honey. Yes. So that, my the new friend. The bees are safe. The bees are safe. Uh, I want to congratulate you for a wonderful MASH game overall and a great conversation. Um, Thank I you, enjoyed Janet. it thoroughly. I'm so, I feel like I stepped outside of my home in a wonderful way because I also stepped into your past and present. Uh, so thank you for that gift and these strange times. Yes. Um, thank you for wanting to do this with me. Oh my gosh. It's my it's a blast. pleasure and honor. I'm so excited to tune in on a Thursday night to hear you and uh again let's make sure to i'll put in the show notes uh step onward but also uh tell people where they can find the new album 
Oh, yeah. So I don't know when this is available, but the new album Heart is a Compass by Pike and Sutton comes out April 3rd. So it'll be, you know, on all of the streaming networks around the world, streaming uh, portals and our platforms, I guess they call them. And then I like portals. We, I think I prefer portals. Yeah. That's great. It's more travely, right? That's right. Well, and then, you know, we actually made vinyl and all that stuff. So it's available too. But right on. April 3rd. Mm-hmm. Are you guys on, is there is there a, a band site that, that people like a Twitter handle or Instagram they can follow so that they'll get that reminder and that update of when the, when the album drops? Yeah, it's Pike and Sutton. Pike and the full word Sutton. Great. So P-I-K-E and and s-u-t-t-o-n awesome awesome patrice thank you so much uh everybody else talk to you next time on the podcast the show is recorded by me and edited by julian burrell and as always the jv club theme song is back before we were brittle by the amazing say hi MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture Artist owned Audience supported